Hey, TSL fam, producer Jeff here, and we're doing something a little different and very exciting this week, and that's giving you a sneak preview of what it's like to join our Patreon. Uh, we launched our Patreon last year, and since then, we've been able to run about 10 workshops featuring both Megan Lorian, I hopped in and did a workshop, and we've even featured guest speakers. And it's just been such a fun, inclusive, exciting, and wildly motivational and educational experience, even for me. And um, what a blast it's been to get to know our Patreon community a little better through the workshops. And speaking of our Patreon community, one of the things we love about it is that it's kind of a safe and protected space for our patrons, which means that, you know, during these workshops, you all are making tons of contributions and asking questions and, you know, volunteering your material for feedback. But I didn't include any of that today because I want to protect them. So today's samples of our Patreon will be purely devoted to our speakers, Meg, Lorian, and me. Um, if you like what you hear today, I'll be talking more about how to join our Patreon later in the show, but for now, I say we just dive right in. So for our first Patreon snippet, we're going to be hearing a tiny sample of the workshop on loglines that Sheila Hanahan Taylor gave. Sheila is one of our most experienced producers in the business, and she has a really sharp and I think generative way that she thinks about loglines in terms of our writing. So I'm going to stop talking and let her jump in. Here's a sample from our Sheila Hanahan Taylor logline workshop. So any list you look at is going to tell you that you need a couple main components, which is like, who's the story about your protagonist, what that protagonist is striving for, what their goal is, and what's going to stand in that way. Some version of an antagonistic force, right? That's the closest, quickest, shortest version. But sometimes you're, you'll find online much more expanded sort of eloquent versions of that, meaning you have a protagonist and you learn what the setting is or what their situation is just in a word or two. And then you get some version of a really crazy inciting incident that's going to clearly up, you know, up, up the cause upheaval in their universe. And you will set then what their goal is to solve that upheaval that's just come their way. And then you're going to figure out what sort of antagonist they're running into. And again, these lists are all online. So I'll, I can forward even some good links to, so he can share them with all of you. But the cool and interesting thing is when you get into antagonists, just like we all learned in sort of, you know, sixth grade English lit class, there's there's like man versus nature, man versus man, man versus society, man versus themselves. All of those things can factor into who your antagonist is. And usually it's sometimes a couple, meaning here's the key to me. Usually an excellent story, a well-written screenplay, your protagonist is sure there's an inciting incident that comes their way sure there's a goal there's a plan that they need to enact there's some big cat antagonist in their way whether it's mountain or boss or whatever it is but there's also a different thing happening so there's the big fat conflict super obvious really tangible it's out there for everybody to see it's really cinematic it's really visual but there's also an actual problem or a wound. And as people who listen to this great podcast, I'm so thrilled I don't have to like dig super deep to explain that. But generally, the wound is intrinsically tied to all this. And when you go to all these websites that give you this cute little checklist, most of them do not say specifically that problem that this protagonist is carrying around is the key to the whole story because it's actually why we have to go through all the tangible, visual, external stuff. So the really good log line has both ready, have both a conflict, but also the problem. 
And the problem is what your protagonist issue is. And the conflict is the big fat antagonist that's causing even more havoc. And if you can unpack a really strong log line, they've got both of them working in tandem, which I'll give some examples in a few minutes. So, okay. So hopefully is this making sense? And by the way, truly stop me because this is a great workshop. It's a nice, not ginormous room here. So I'm happy to have people like, you know, flag things if it's getting confusing, by the way. Okay. So for me, when I start thinking about a log line, the number one rule that they also don't mention in most of these cool online things is it doesn't have to be in a specific order, meaning you don't always have to start with here's the protagonist, here's the inciting incident, here's the goal, and here's the big conflict. Because sometimes it's way more fun to start with like when a bomb explodes, which is like the conflict first. And then you say a team of scientists need to do whatever. And then you meet them after the big inciting incident. So part of the cocktail party game that I'm talking about is as long as you know what the main components are, you get to pick the order that's most successful for the kind of project you are pitching or writing out in a, in a logline version. To me, we can talk more about that in a minute, but the difference is the two minute elevator pitch is totally different than a logline. And we should do like a whole nother workshop on that. But generally the two minute elevator logline is way more fused in the personal uh, passion of the project versus when you're writing out query letters to get an agent or you're submitting to a lab or submitting to a festival, you need like this lean, mean, mostly kind of academic, really well expressed true blue log line because it's their, it's their first portal as administrators to whatever thing you're applying to, to, to kick out the people who are crazy, right? If you have a shitty log line, it's like, oh, well, that's easy. They're done. So, so Hollywood has invented this amazing sort of mechanism to vet the people who don't have their act together, number one. And number two, use that also when you're at home playing around with all this stuff. Because if you're starting to feel like, oh, it's really hard to do this in 35 words, or I could maybe do it in four sentences. Like usually the old rule applies that I've heard since I got to Hollywood a million years ago, which is if you're having trouble boiling it down, there's a problem probably with your screenplay, usually, that's number one, like too many movies under one roof, too many things going on, or occasionally you, since you're the writer and you're really invested and you're super emotional, um, you don't have enough perspective. So you're like throwing the kitchen sink in there because in your mind, oh my God, it is absolutely important that the roommate drives a red car because you know. Meanwhile, if you have somebody else objectively come in and weed out your logline, you might be able to get it into 35 words just because they are not precious with stuff, right? But generally I would say it's usually more the former, meaning too many movies under one roof, which is why you're having trouble getting it all wrangled. So keep that in mind. Um, Hopefully this is working, is this making sense? Everybody good? Okay, cool. Okay, great. So again, not necessarily that you have it in all the order. Um, one of the other things that I do, because again, there's so many, some people call it protagonist, some people call it your lead character, some people call it, you know, the inciting incident, other people say, um, what's the other word for it? Um, trying to remember what the other, like what other people call it. Cause I always call it inciting incident, but depending on what screenwriting book, there's other terms, which is, oh, the central turning point. That would be another, it's the same thing. <laughs> what happened that threw your world into chaos, right? So sometimes when I'm working with people to like just calm down and just approach their screenplay from a, a again, a less, oh my God, I've got to get it done 
sort of log line brain into just a really simple, let's treat this like a journalism class because you know the number one thing they teach you in like your first year of journalism school is the opening paragraph has to have the who, what, why, where, and when. And then if you wanna keep reading, you can, but the first paragraph should have told you basically a log line of what the story is gonna be. So I, a lot of times tell my writers, if you're freaking out about which component to start with, or you're having trouble doing the cocktail party game, use the journalism school, really, who? All right, who's your protagonist? Who's your antagonist? Pick a word or two that's really helpful to like zero in on who they really are. Quick rule, don't use character names. Nobody wants to know it's Matt and John and Sarah. It doesn't make sense, but if you wanna have a frustrated attorney, if you wanna have a nosy neighbor, if you wanna have the slacker boyfriend, I now can like latch on to them. So the who, use a great descriptive word, something really, really defining, lets me in. And then you get the who and the where, or excuse me, the when and the where, meaning what's your setting, if it's important. If you're writing sort of a modern day story that happens in some sort of city, you may not have to drag that into the equation. It just kind of gets to be another couple words in the log line that may not need it. But if you have a unique situation in terms of the when and the where, the setting is weird. Is it science fiction? Is it the creepy house alone in the mountain where there's no one for miles? We might need to know that if it's factors into your story, right? So the who, the when and the where, and then the what, which again is your internal problem that's your wound what's their thing right what's what's put them in this situation what has caused this to happen and then the how this is a conflict what am i doing about it how am i going to tackle this and the why the big why what's my goal if i do this what's going to happen or worse what will happen if i don't do it if i fail if something totally backfires what will happen? What are the stakes, right? So that's all in the why. So again, who, protagonist, antagonist, the when and the where is the setting, the what is what's their internal problem, their wound, their issue, the how, what's the conflict? If I have to climb a mountain, I've got to do that kind of a how, but if I have to like slay 42 dragons, totally different kind of how, or if I have to break into some super secure government facility, different kind of how. And then why? What's important about that? Is it all mankind? Is it saving this little marriage? Is it helping a friend get through something? All of those things, right? Okay, so in all of that, the other thing that for me that I, I find so important in, in sort of looking at this, again, adjectives are your favorite thing. And now this is where Google's your best friend. In the last year or two, somebody went online and came up with literally, they called it like the character description chart or something. And it truly has, like 80 fantastic words that may not have been at your fingertips that you can start using to connect to your lead characters, both your protagonist and your antagonist to more precisely define them because log lines, here's the thing, you have to make every single word not only count, because again, 35 words, but usually you have to do double duty. You have to do double duty. So the other big thing that isn't on any of these online portals that I've been seeing is how important when you pick that word, that adjective to enhance who your lead character is or enhance what your antagonist issue is, is tone. The best log lines not only capture what's happening in this project, but they also nail tone because they chose that exact right word. And one of the things I sent earlier to Jeff, and I don't know if you gave it to the group or not, was like I was playing around with how to do a hangover log line. I don't know if you shared it, I but I was like, 
Yeah, yeah. So I was just, you guys, I was honestly, I was sitting in my car. I had just dropped my kid off from camp and Jeff's like, do you have a sample log line? I'm like, um, I, I usually just say them out loud and they kind of work. So let me say one out loud and like, I'll type it and I'll send it to you. So that was like sitting in a car uh, on the fly. But the key to it was, is as I kept typing the first couple of times I was describing what had happened the night before because the three guys couldn't remember anything. I used the word debaucherous and I used the word I forget what else, but all I knew is the tone was, was wrong. The well, then I switched to shenanigans because the tone was better. And so even that, that dosy do of, wow, debaucherous versus shenanigans to me lands the movie in, in a completely different reception on whoever is reading that log line. Thanks so much to Sheila for that incredible workshop. I will say, I feel like this workshop kind of broke my brain in the best way. I truly only gave you probably 10% of the meat of that workshop, so if you liked it, I'd highly recommend you join the Patreon to check out the whole thing. It's a real game changer, so thanks to Sheila and thanks to our patrons. Um, okay, up next, I'm going to give you a sample of kind of what our Q&A looks like. Again, to protect the anonymity of our patrons, I'm going to kind of let you know the questions that were asked. Uh, the first question came from one of our patrons who was in the process of writing kind of a paranoid conspiracy thriller, and she was wondering how best to kind of shroud the details of who the main antagonist was while still keeping the screenplay logical and interesting. You have to think of who is, and I'm, I guess I'm asking you this, who is your main character? Because who am I seeing, who is the person trying to figure out the mystery? And what is their character-specific relationship to the mystery and why do they care and why would they see certain things but not see other things can sometimes be very specific to who they are right so if you stay sometimes if you stay too broad out in plotting not that you don't do that there's you know a time and place for everything but for me it would really depend a lot on who uh, is the person trying to uncover the mystery? Why do they want to? What do they get from it? What are their stakes if they don't? Because all of that informs how the plot is unrolling because it might unroll a different way if it was a different person who needs to find out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if it's the mother of a child who's been murdered, that's going to be a different unrolling potentially than the cop or, you know, so uh, that's my first thought. Lorraine, jump in. Yeah, I was thinking about Sixth Sense and uh, Fight Club, and I just watched Red Notice. I won't give any spoilers, but they're, from the main character's point of view, it's what they're able to see that we're seeing, right? With Fight Club, we're only able to know what the main character is prepared to know about themselves, right? As he sort of comes to as he sort of learns more about the world and and what's going on is when it comes when he finally figures it out at the end when we get to see it same with sixth sense right it's sort of the his his arc is yeah. what we're watching and experiencing so you know, it's yeah really to next think, point yeah yeah another way to think of it is is when i was working with jodie foster she would ask as an actress why this antagonist for my protagonist why is this the person who's gonna crack me open of all the millions of people potentiality that my character could meet. Why is this the person? Again, this is an unknown person, but it is an antagonist. Somebody's doing it to her, right? Or him. Why psychologically, what is the cat and mouse game happening to create her arc, to create her shift? Um, you know, That is the game that's being played really 
um, between the two of them. Whether the antagonist is aware of that or not, we can get into that, but we can answer other questions. But um, do you understand what I'm saying? Like yeah, that's I how do. you start planting seeds because it's what you need to do to your main character. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's why perfect. you plant the seed. In, in the first, not the first, but one of the first Batman movies, um, the Joker, you know, he said, the director said, well, as far as he was concerned, the Joker was just a shark character there to reveal how Batman and the other characters dealt with life and dealt with him, right? Like he is literally just a tool, a shark that's going to push and push and push to see how they, how they, evolve and shift against that push yeah. right i think the vice versa what meg is saying too is why is your protagonist the one person that can stop your antagonist too yes. um i Thank think you. thinking that way like why is john mcclain the only person who can stop hans gruber because he's the american everyman because he embodies what we need to push against what um hans gruber represents so i think thinking that way will also help create more agency in your protagonist as you approach the story and for our second question our patron asked about what happens when you find that especially your vomit draft is going way off the rails from what you thought your log line or your script was going to be about? I really love both Meg and Lorian's answers here. I think, well, I just follow those trails, right? It's scary though, right? Because you're trying to push it back to where it's supposed to go. And I think that takes a lot more effort than just letting it go off the rails to see what happens. Because sometimes the way my brain works is I have to take the long way around and in order to get back on track, I have to go, I have to follow, I have to go through the scary forest to get back there. And sometimes uh, I don't get back to the log line. Log, of course, I'm not great at starting out with a log line. Meg, maybe you can speak to that a little well, bit Well, you more. know, I mean, it's very normal in the creative process to go off your log line. I mean, it's almost par for the course. So like Zootopia was not about that rabbit for a long, long time. Like way we're starting to, I think they were even starting to animate, right? And they got the note, you got the wrong main character. It was the fox who was the main character. So did the log line change? Yeah, the log line changed, but it also stayed the same because it was still in Zootopia, it was still about it, blah, 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 but the log line changed. So why does that happen? I think because your brain thinks it's going to be this, but you're sometimes that's the analytical brain telling you that. But you know, the muses are like, fuck that, that's not what we want to talk about. Or better yet, there's a much better story under here that you have to lean into and you have to go for it. And like Lorian said, it is scary because maybe that log line got approved by your manager or you got a lot of great feedback on it or you pitched it at Austin or whatever, right? But the truly great the greats in my opinion are willing to just say it's not going anywhere you know what i mean your log line is not going anywhere so be brave and let it go off the log line when i was working with my friend john morgan who's an actor and i had a really hard problem with this in any kind of development moment because actors play right all the time actors play so he taught me because I'd be like, oh, that's a cul-de-sac. And he taught me to go down the cul-de-sac to find something. You might come back to your logline. You might not. You might end up changing your main character. You might end up realizing, oh, crap, this is even in the wrong tone. This is a comedy. Whatever. You have to really allow it to breathe and be that big of a change, I think. 
And sometimes um, you have to understand what the project is and what the process is getting into that project. They're not all the same. Like last night, I spent a good hour trying to come up with log lines and go from the outside in. And then today I sat down and just picked a character and started writing her and then interesting stuff to, to, to come up, right? And that's more my process, but I tried the other way and it really was stinky. Um, so For that's your brain, of, right? Like everybody's brain is gonna be different. That's how my right? brain works, but I would like to get to the point where I could start, I could even write a log line at the beginning, like high concept and then go in and write. So I'm jealous that you have a log line. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Congratulations. That's awesome. So that's yep. a great tool. You know I'm working that. with a director who he keeps saying, if I can't verbally tell it to somebody, I don't have it. He wants to literally be able to walk up at lunch and go, okay, this is where we are. Okay, this is the story. She's going to start here. And she's going to go there. Blah, blah, blah. And if she, he watches their eyes and that's how his process is. He has to verbalize it. Um, and then he kind of has it right. So everybody's brain works different, but I love that. I, I'm with you. I personally need to have an idea of who the main character is and the beginning and where they start and finish and, and kind of what it is. And then I can go and then it can change, but I'm a little bit like you. I need all that stuff too. All right, for our final Patreon sample, I'm actually going to share a snippet from a workshop I conducted. Um, this was a micro-budget filmmaking workshop based on my experience writing, shooting, directing, and cutting a feature uh, over the last year that I'm currently selling right now that's playing festivals. And, um, you know, I just learned so much about the experience, not only about writing, but also about sort of how we can approach our material from the perspective of wanting to see it get made. So I'm sharing only a very short snippet of this um, workshop right now, particularly about production, but this was a two hour workshop and we got into everything from writing to locations, to agreements, to SAG. And if you're thinking about making your material even a short, I do think this workshop will answer any question you could possibly have. And you will hear me referring to like specific documents and photos and sort of production material. Our patrons get that material included in the description of the episode when they join the Patreon as well. In terms of production, I'm gonna keep it kind of general and just some of the hacks that I learned. Um, and again, you can kind of retrofit some of what I'm learning to also apply to what you're writing. So even if you kind of view yourself as a writer only, I still think learning these details can will kind of put you in the right mindset as you approach the page, knowing that this is your ultimate goal with your material. So I think like these are general timelines I basically, when I like decided to go all in on the movie and the script was written, that was almost exactly a year ago today. Um, so I'm gonna kind of break it down into just chunks. So I think like 10 to 12 months before your shoot, you should decide on your shoot dates. In so many ways, filming a movie is like throwing a wedding in that you have to assemble a lot of people for a commitment and feed them <laughs> and sometimes put them up and um, do everything you can to host them well. You know, like I think, really the best producers are the best hosts because they're concerned about the needs of everyone that's surrounding them. And the reason I make that analogy is because the first thing you do when you plan a wedding is send a save the date because you want to acquire people's commitment as early as possible. So I would advise on deciding on a shoot date, making that your shoot date and committing to it so that you can start to get people on board right away or at least have them block that time. So that even if you do end up pushing the shoot, that's in the same kind of window that you had them available already. Um, similarly, I think with planning a wedding, there's like big ticket items that you want to lock down fast. So <laughs> the person you're marrying, that should probably be decided before you <laughs> send out your save the dates, but also like your groomsmen, that type of thing, like that's like your crew. 
um, and like big locations that might be hard to get. Like those are the, also the big ticket items. Maybe thinking about flights, you know, those are going to go up in cost. So you can kind of get the big ticket items locked in and then worry about the minutia later. But that's, I would advise that you push that early towards your production. Um, eight months before shooting, um, I think it's great to start scouting. Again, like I think one of the things hopefully you all have discovered is that like location-based writing can be a really generative way to approach your material. So I think getting into your locations or ideas of where you might want to shoot and seeing them and being in them can be really valuable, um, especially because after scouting, you might realize that you need to make tweaks and adjustments in your script. But again, those can help push you in an exciting new direction. When we just, this is a kind of a map of where we shot and I'll talk about how it inspired my writing process. Um, basically like the campsite around the fire was all right here. Any of the trails where they're finding stuff on the hunt was just sort of all around. This was the actual physical Airbnb. We used that for holding during production. Like essentially we kind of had like two home bases. We had like our Airbnb home base here and then like our everything else home base, which would be like bars, the police station, the cemetery. Um, but both of them had like a centralized kind of holding. And it's nice, like this had Wi-Fi, which is great for data or printing things if we needed it. And of course, holding our talent if they weren't on set um, and crafty, you know, any, anything we would, which is food. Sorry, in case any of you guys haven't been on set, craft services. Um, but we also doubled this for the sponsor scene. So the scene where Riggs visits his sponsor, we use this location. And here's an example, this barn that kind of becomes like a landmark in the movie um, that was originally written as just like a clearing. But once we visited the location and decided on it, we sort of liked that as like a grounding landmark to like return to. So that's the kind of thing that like location scouting and kind of deciding locations can really help shape your writing. And it's nice because then you're writing and knowing exactly where you're gonna be. And if you're directing it, you can start to picture your shots. And um, it's nice because like, you're not gonna be panicking about a location two weeks out that you can't find because you have it locked. So like, I kind of knew four months in, like we were gonna be okay on locations because I wrote for them. So um, I'll just, for reference, in case it's interesting to you all, this is the college town we shot in. Just in case anyone's curious, it's a school called Miami University, but it's in Ohio, which is very confusing for many people, but <laughs> that's where I went. The nice thing was this production house, which was like also our production office, essentially, we kept all of our props, equipment and wardrobe there. Um, it was a six bedroom house. So another thing that's nice about a college campus is it's typically student housing, but we shot in the summer. So we got it for like an unbelievably reasonable lease because it was gonna go unused. Um, so like if you're, a college campus can be a great place to shoot for that reason. And that's where we put up our actors. And you know, they each got their own bedroom and it was a shared bathroom, but like the, it, the communal house situation is kind of fun when you're shooting. Cause it's like, you're a family and you come back from set and you have a beer and talk about, watch the dailies. Like that was all really kind of fun. Um, the coffee shop was right here. The bar was right here. The, so you can just see how everything was, you know, we, we had a day where we shot four hours at this coffee shop, four hours at this bar and four hours in this police station, which that's insane, right? Two company moves, like any producer would be like, what are you doing? Don't do that. But we knew we could because they were blocks away. Um, so just if you can think about a situation where locations are this easily accessible, it really gives you the opportunity to really crunch your production schedule, which of course saves money. Um, when it comes to scheduling a film shoot, there's in my mind, and if anyone wants to hop in, if I, they feel like I'm missing anything, I would love it. But there's kind of like seven major factors that affect the way you would choose to put together your schedule. Um, of course, like your actors, <laughs> it's a really important part. 
because you can't make a movie without your actors. And I mentioned like the big name idea. If we're only getting Brad Pitt, because to be clear, like it was Brad Pitt that we were talking to for that scene. Just kidding. But if we're only getting him for one day, um, we will do we will move mountains to make sure that that is the day that we're bringing him in and shooting there. So actors are a really important way to schedule. And sometimes if you have limited availability, it really dictates your schedule, which is fine. Um, story, of course, if you're able to shoot in order, that's always going to be your best bet. It's helpful for actors. It's helpful for continuity. It's helpful for your scripty. Um, it's rarely the case, but there are some directors who are fancy enough now that they're able to like demand their producers that they shoot chronologically. Um, so the most that you can, like if you're, if you're block shooting at a location, at least shoot your scenes in order at that location, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The idea of intimate or challenging scenes. So, you know, there's a couple PG-13 spicy scenes in our movie. We're not going to shoot those on day one, right? Like that's not cool to your actors. You want to ease everyone into the process before you're doing really challenging stuff. Um, continuity. I'm going to change wardrobe to just be thinking about continuity instead. Um, the, I think as much as you can, you know, like be thinking about what, what your characters would be wearing at certain points can, I think, save you a lot of time. So you're not doing a lot of changing on set. Um, of course, locations are typically the way you would schedule. I should probably have pushed that up because that's, that's probably the most powerful scheduling variable when it comes to putting your shoot together, aside from your actor's availability. Um, company moves, the less the better. Um, timing, you know, if you are limited to a certain time and a location. We shut the coffee shop down between like 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. because that was their slowest hour. So they offered us the best rate. And then, of course, if you're shooting outside lighting, there's um, that particular scene where Lola and Catherine are arguing after her freak out near the beginning of the movie. We really wanted to shoot that at sunset, you know, so we try to get that golden hour shot. So those are typically the things that affect how you schedule a movie. Um, and again, having those constraints in mind as you approach your schedule, I think can be really helpful. So I hope this was a helpful episode for all of you, regardless of whether or not you're interested in the Patreon. You know, we always do our best to give you the best content we can. But if you like what you heard today, I'd love for you to consider joining our Patreon. I feel like I was only able to give you all like 10% of what the Patreon experience really feels like through this little preview. So, you know, you can even try it for a month and then decide to leave and kind of uh, at least you'll get access to all those back episodes. But, you know, it's a really cool opportunity to get on monthly Zooms with Meg, Lorian and I to meet us, to meet other patrons, to practice pitching your material and again, engage in a community to help you feel like you're not alone. You know, this is such a... Can feel like such an arduously personal and isolated journey when you're a writer, but I think for our patrons, it's been really cool for them to know that at least once a month they're going to be getting on a call with Meg, Lorraine, and me and our other patrons to, um, you know, feel like they're not alone. So we really thank you all for for tuning in and listening. If you are interested in joining our Patreon, I'm going to include the link to sign up below. You get access to these workshops in addition to every episode we release ad free, and when we do have guests on the show you will get a bonus kind of 12 to 15 minute reflection based on what we learned from those guests. So thanks again for listening and remember you are not alone and keep writing.